morning, faith family. I want to say hello to those gathered in Lakeville and in our sanctuary service. Invite all of you, if you would, to please turn to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7, continuing uh, this morning in our series we've been in the last several weeks now, uh, going through the book of Hebrews called No Going Back and uh, trying to encourage you and challenge you in your faith as you move forward uh, in Christ. Now, uh, part of preaching through a book means you don't get to skip hard passages, okay? If I skipped around every week, it'd be easy to avoid the difficult passages in the Bible. But preaching through a book, you kind of have to do whatever comes next. And chapter 7 in the book of Hebrews is one of the most difficult passages, certainly in the book of Hebrews, but even in uh, the New Testament. And so uh, even with that, I really believe that God has a word of encouragement and hope for us today. And so if you're here and you just need some hope, you need some encouragement, you've come to the right place. And I'm going to trust that God is going to come and speak to us. Okay, you ready to get after it this morning? You going to pray for me? You promise? Okay, I, mean, I really need God's help. I need God's help every day and every Sunday, but certainly today as we go through this passage, just pray that God would uh, meet us here and speak to us through his word. So let's get after it. Hebrews 7, if you're able to stand, please do so as we honor the reading of God's word. Now, we're going to try to cover the whole chapter, uh, but for our scripture reading, we're going to pick up in verse 11 and read down through verse 17. Author of Hebrews is writing here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he says, now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there's necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe, from which no one has ever served at the altar. For it's evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe of Moses said nothing about priest. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises out of the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And I know what some of you are thinking, that passage is going to change my life. (laughs) Just read it, pray, and go home, right? I'm telling you, faith family, there is a lot here, and it's going to encourage you this morning. Will you pray with me? Let's pray. God, I thank you for difficult passages that force us to dig But every single word that you have given us was breathed out by you. And so it is necessary and important for our learning, for our instruction, uh, for our encouragement, edification, and our hope. So come and talk to us. Uh, Spirit of truth, guide us today into the truth of the gospel. And we thank you in advance for what you will do in our lives. And we ask it in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Amen. Please be seated. She could feel her heart pounding in her chest. Her hands were starting to shake and, and, and quiver. The, the, the palms of her hands started to get uh, sweaty as she reached into her purse and grabbed the gun. When she bought the gun, she never intended to ever actually have to use it. But here she was in a situation where she was afraid she would. It was the story of a, of a Sarasota, Florida woman, an elderly woman who had purchased a gun purely for her own protection. 
And one day she's walking out of the mall and she notices four men that are breaking into her car. So she does what she'd been trained to do. Uh, she drops her bag. She reaches in and grabs her gun. She points it at the men and she says, get away from my car. I have a gun and I know how to use it. According to the police report, those four men ran like their pants were on fire. They got out of there in a hurry. She was quite shaken up by this, and so she grabbed her bags and put them in her car and decided to sit down in the driver's seat to calm down a little bit, take a few deep breaths, and just, you know, get back to, to normal. And she tried the keys and couldn't get them to work, and so she's so nervous, she takes a few more deep breaths and then tries them again, and once again, they didn't work, and that's when she realized, this is not my car. Her car, which was the same color, same make and model, was parked just a few spots over. So she got in her car and drove to the police station to inform the police as to what just happened. When she told the officer, the officer started laughing hysterically. He said, ma'am, you're not going to believe this, but right over there in that room, there are four men who just showed up to report a carjacking. by an elderly woman with white hair and thick glasses. <laughs> he said, ma'am, I have to be honest, I didn't believe a word they said. <laughs> Fortunately for her, everybody understood and all the charges were dropped. Now, the truth is, Faith Family, every single one of us here today, every single one of us has experienced that before. I don't mean that you've experienced uh, pulling a gun on somebody or somebody, something like that. No, no, what I'm saying is everybody's experienced this. We were absolutely certain about something only to discover that it wasn't true. We were absolutely certain of something only to discover it was true. Maybe for some of you, you were absolutely certain that you knew somebody's identity and you ended up being wrong and you did one of those, hey, I don't know you, right? You done that? Maybe you were absolutely certain that your team was going to win and they lost. Maybe you were absolutely certain that you would get the job and you didn't. Maybe you were absolutely certain that she was the one and it didn't work out. Maybe you are absolutely certain they would be around for a long time, and they're gone. Everybody's experienced that unsettled feeling of thinking that we know something is for sure only to find out we were wrong. Let me ask you something, faith family, Lakeville Sanctuary, everybody. Have you ever wondered about that spiritually? Have you ever wondered about that when it comes to your salvation? Like, what if you're wrong about your spiritual identity? How can you be sure of your salvation? What if, like that elderly woman, you don't get somebody else's identity wrong, you get your identity wrong? What if God changes his mind about you? How do you know? What if you get to the end and everything you thought was true isn't? I guess the question I'm trying to ask us this morning, the, the, the question I want us to get our minds around is this. Can I have confidence that I am a Christian? Is that possible? Can I be certain of 
that. That is exactly what the author of Hebrews is trying to uh, inspire and encourage among these Hebrew Christians. Now, before we dive into chapter 7, let me set the context again, because we've been looking at this in little pieces, but there's actually one long argument that the author is making. So everybody right here, Lakeville Sanctuary... In chapter 5, 11 and 12, the author says, hey, I'm very concerned about your spiritual maturity. You ought to be teachers by now, but you still need somebody to teach you. You ought to be on solid food by now, but you still need milk. I'm concerned about you. And the truth is, now a warning in chapter 6, if you continue down this path, you may end up like those who fall away and prove that they had never actually belonged to God. And then midway through chapter 6, he shifts to, but I believe in you. I believe in what God has been doing through your life. But you need to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. You know, like, like Abraham. And all the inconsistencies and all the, the insecurities of his life, he had faith. You need to imitate that. And all of this is meant to stir up in them confidence in Christ. Notice the theme here. Let me show you. In chapter 6, verse 9, though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things. Look at chapter 6, verse 19. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place. Look at chapter 4 and verse 16. I want everybody, Lakeville Sanctuary, y'all say this word with me. Uh, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places. Uh, Chapter 10, verse 35. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. What's the author trying to build in them? Have I given you a hint? (laughs) Confidence. He wants them to have confidence. Anybody here today could use a little bit of confidence? Anybody here today that would just like a a message of encouragement that would build up your hope and confidence, and not just confidence in any old area of your life, but confidence in the area that matters most, namely confidence in your walk with God, confidence in your relationship with him, confidence in your faith. That's what this author is trying to do. Now listen, hey everybody, we're going to have to go through the weeds to get there. And I got I to gotta ask you, will you hang with me today? Will, 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 you, will you stay with me as we work through some details? But I promise you, when we get to the end, it is going to be something that builds your confidence in God. Are you ready? Are you with me? In chapter 7, the author now mentions this man by the name of Melchizedek, to which we say Melchizedek I've never heard of this guy. I bet nobody here has ever named your child Melchizedek. This is not something that we relate to very easily, but we need to understand him in order to understand what the author intends for us to know. And I'm going to give you three things. I don't normally give this to you up front, but for those of you note takers, jot this down. I'm going to talk about the context of Melchizedek, then we're going to make some comparisons, and then we'll give some conclusions. Okay, I've worked hard this week to try to make this passage as simple as possible. Context, then some comparisons, and then some conclusions. You ready? Let's go. Context of Melchizedek. Who is this guy? Where does he come from? What do we know about him? Look at verse 1 of chapter 7. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem... 
priest of the Most High God met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning nor days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. So here's the story. It comes out of Genesis chapter 14. There's uh, four kings. They're kind of like mayors in our day. And they decide to join forces, and they're going to go attack Sodom, Gomorrah, and the surrounding cities. And boy, do they. They absolutely ravage the place. They leave it in complete and total ruins. They take everything. They take possessions. They take people. And they also take hostages. In fact, they will take a hostage they will later regret. They actually take Liam Neeson's daughter again (laughs) for the 15th time in Taken Part 15. And I'm just kidding, all right? Of course, we all know that he has a very particular set of skills, right? And anyways, no, that's not who they take. They take actually a man by the name of Lot. Now, Lot is Abraham's beloved nephew. And so Abraham, when he hears that that Lot has been taken hostage, he decides to go Old Testament. And he gets 318 of his best men, and he goes out to get Lot back. In the cover of night, in a surprise attack with arrows soaring through the night sky and swords that are being thrust on the battlefield, and when all the dust finally settles and the battle is over, here's what the Bible says. Genesis 14, verse 16 says, he, that is Abraham, brought back all the possessions and also his kinsmen Lot with his possessions and the women and the people. Abraham made Jason Bourne look like an amateur. He went in and he conquered and got everything back. Is everybody with me so far? Say yes. On his way back from victory, he meets these two guys. One is the king of Sodom. The other is the king of Salem, this Melchizedek guy. The king of Solomon says, now Sodom, rather, remember, he's just brought everything back that was taken. The king of Sodom says, hey, you can keep the possessions, just give me back my people. And Abraham, knowing that Sodom was an evil place, a wicked place, says, I don't want anything that's yours, lest it be said that you made me rich. I'm giving you everything that's yours back to you. And then he has this interesting exchange between this king of Salem, Melchizedek guy. Melchizedek blesses Abraham and Abraham submits to him and gives him a tithe, a tenth of everything he won in battle. And then all of a sudden, Melchizedek disappears. He gone, just poof. We don't, we don't hear from him again. We don't see him again. He's just like a magic trick, just disappears. And we're left only knowing this about him, that his name means king of righteousness and peace, that he is a king and priest, something that was not allowed under the Levitical priesthood and Mosaic law that will come later. We know that we have no record of his genealogy, so it's like he has no beginning or end. And we know this guy's very important because Abraham who's kind of a big deal, bows to him and is blessed by him. And that's all we know. And then it's just like, boom, until 14 generations later. David is writing a psalm, Psalm 110. It's the author of Hebrews' favorite psalm. He quotes it more than anything. 
And David says this, verse 1, Psalm 110, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Now, we know based on Hebrews that David is referring to Jesus there. And then in verse 4 of Psalm 110, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of, there he is. Where'd he go? David's just sitting there and he looks back. Now, this is important. I need everybody to stay with me. Lakeville Sanctuary, come on. He looks back at Melchizedek and he says, this Melchizedek is a foreshadowing. He's a type of the Messiah that is to come. I mean, just like he was king of righteousness and peace, there is coming a king and priest who will be truly righteous, truly a prince of peace. That just as Melchizedek was a priest king, he'll be a priest king. That just as Melchizedek had no record of genealogy, this one will actually be eternal. He'll have no beginning and no end. He will be a priest forever. And David shows us that this Melchizedek is actually pointing us to Jesus Christ. Now, I know some of you are like, I thought you were really going to encourage me. I, I don't, I'm not sure how this relates to me. Well, just wait. Here's all we've established thus far. Are you with me? Notice it on the screen. That there is a priesthood separate from and existing before the Levitical priesthood, which points us to Jesus. That's all you got to know right now is based on who Melchizedek is and what David says about him. It means that there is a priesthood separate from and, 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 and preceding the Levitical priesthood. And it's all about Jesus. So we got two priesthoods. Are you still with me? Lakeville Sanctuary, I know you're with me, right? Now the author is going to move from that and make some comparisons. Let's now compare these two things. Now, uh, in order to set this up, I want to give you an illustration, okay, that will help us kind of make sense out of this. How many of you remember uh, when you were in school playing the greater than game? Anybody remember that? Show of hands. Anybody remember that? Here, here, this was the greater than game. The greater than game is when your teacher, right, would draw on the board that symbol, how many of you remember this symbol? Please raise your hand. Okay, now, now you got it. Lakeville Sanctuary, I trust you're playing along. Now, growing up in Tennessee, this was always Pac-Man eats the, the greater, right? That was my schooling, all right? But you were probably taught that the arrow always points to the, talk to me, lesser or the smaller one. That's right, okay? So, so let's just kind of get, get things warmed up here. Let's play this for just a minute, okay? Then we'll understand the text. So let's start with, say, seven and two. And Lakeville Sanctuary participate here. Show of hands, how many think seven is greater than two? Show of hands. Please get this one right. Okay, so yeah, we're in agreement that seven is greater than two. And we do this kind of thing in life a lot as well. Uh, we'll kind of assess things that are greater. Let's do a few other examples. Uh, how about bears versus Vikings? That'd be a good example. That'd be a good example. Uh, so how many show of hands say bears? The bears, the bears. All right, we got a few. How many of you show of hands would say Vikings? Okay, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. But here's the truth. If you go based on record Who's leading the division? The bears, the bears, the bears. So the bears, at least at this point in time, is greater than the Vikings, but I'll encourage you, you're still greater than the Packers, all right? So, just give you some good news, all right? 
So according to the record right now, the Bears are greater than the Vikings. We'll see tonight. Let's try another one. How about Mac versus PC? Show of hands. How many say Mac? <laughs> yeah, it was like a four-year-old going, yeah. Love it. What about PC? A very enthusiastic PC crowd. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I think Mac won that. I think. So we're going to say Mac is greater than PC. Now let's get a little bit more serious. What about rap versus country? Okay, we're, we're about to find out who's saved and who isn't, all right? How many of you say rap, show of hands? You can go ahead and leave this church right now, all right, as far as I'm concerned. I'm just kidding, stay. Where's my people? Come on, where's my people? How many say country? Yeah, give me a yeehaw. Oh, I'm going to make y'all rednecks yet. All right, country is absolutely better than rap because the Bible says so. You don't like that, you take it up with God. All right, here we go. How about uh, Starbucks versus Caribou? Oh, now we're getting serious. Woo! Some of y'all about to get saved over this, all right? How many of you say uh, Starbucks? How many of you say Caribou? I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. Caribou is greater than Starbucks, according to this crowd. Last one. How about Republican versus Democrat? Here we go. <laughs> Oh, I got that response every service. So show of hands, show of hands. How many? I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. I, I enjoy my job. I'd rather not be fired. Now, the truth is some of this is very objective and some of it's subjective. Like obviously seven is greater than two and obviously the bears are greater than the Vikings. I mean, some things are just obvious, but there are other things like Mac versus PC and Caribou versus Starbucks. That it's a little bit subjective based on what you like, what you value, what your worldview is, things of that nature, okay? Well, here's the point. I, I said all this to set up the template that now will help explain this passage. The author of Hebrews loves, 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 loves the greater than game. Lo absolutely loves. In fact, he's been playing it for six chapters, if you've been following along. Like, Jesus is the greater word. He, he's the full and final word of God, greater than all those partial ones. Jesus is greater than angels. After all, angels worship him. Jesus is greater than Moses. After all, Moses is just a part of the house. Jesus built the house, do you see? Well, now the author is about to play the greater than game with these two priesthoods we've just established. One that comes from Melchizedek and points us to Jesus, and the other that comes out of Abraham. Are you ready to play the greater than game? Here we go. Here's the first comparison. The first comparison is Melchizedek versus Abraham. Who's greater? Who's greater, Melchizedek or Abraham? Well, what does the text say? Look at verse 4. See how great this man was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the spoils, and those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, those, uh, though these who are also are descended from Abraham, verse 6, but this man who does not have his descent from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute who wins this game. It's beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. So everybody, Lakeville, Sanctuary, who's greater, Melchizedek or Abraham? 
Well, Melchizedek is because he's the one that blessed Abraham and Abraham's the one that bowed to him and gave him a tenth. It's, it's beyond dispute, the text says. Now, keep in mind, this is written to a Jewish audience. We're talking about old Abe here. He's a big deal, right? And what we're not saying is bad versus good. We're just saying good versus better. And Melchizedek was greater than Abraham. Now, that's the first comparison. Before we move to the next comparison in the text, uh, I need to explain something that would have been very, very natural for these readers to understand. Very much a part of an ancient Near Eastern mindset, which is this. I need everybody right here. Once you've established what is greater than something else, then whatever comes out of that is also greater than whatever comes out of the lesser. Let me give you an example. Picture like a a mountain stream and then compare that to like a dirty swamp. If we establish that the mountain stream is greater than the swamp, then whatever comes out of that is going to be greater than the other. So for instance, which one would you rather have drinking water from? Well, the mountain stream. Which one would you rather swim in? Well, the mountain stream. Uh, Which one uh, would you rather have as scenery? Well, the mountain stream, do you see? And that's kind of a simple illustration, but because this is greater than this, then whatever comes out of this is greater than what comes out of the other. Is everybody with me? Say yes. You having as much fun as I am? Probably not. All right, here we go. Here's the second comparison. Melchizedek now to Levi. Look at verse 9. Who's greater? Who's greater, Melchizedek or Levi? Verse 9 says, one might even say that Levi himself, who received tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek made him. So who's greater, Melchizedek or Levi? Well, Melchizedek is, because Melchizedek is greater than Abraham, and Levi comes from Abraham. And by the way, Melchizedek is a priest king, Levi is only a priest so it's, it's very obvious who wins this greater than game. Here's the third uh, uh, comparison. Which one is greater, a permanent priesthood or a temporary priesthood? Which, which one of these is greater? Well, let's look at what the text says. Look at verse 11. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek rather than the one named after the order of Aaron? So which is greater, the permanent one or the temporary one? Well, obviously the, tempor- or the, the, the permanent one is greater than the temporary one. If, if what you needed was given to you in the Levitical priesthood, there wouldn't be a need for anything else. So the very fact that David points you to the need of another priesthood means that that one is greater than the one you currently have, the Levitical priesthood. The permanent one, the eternal one, is greater than the temporary one. Here's a fourth comparison, right? Let's play the greater than game. Which one is greater, faith family? An indestructible life or an insecure law? Which one's greater? Well, let's look at the text, verse 15. Do you see how all this is now fitting together? Okay, four of you encouraged me. Thank you. (laughs) Verse 15 says, This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, 
who has become a priest, not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you're a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on one hand, a former command is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law, here's why it's weak and useless. The law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. Don't, don't, don't you see the, the whole Levitical priesthood only addressed the issue of imperfection? It did nothing to make you perfect. Come here for just a minute, right? Lake, Lakeville uh, Sanctuary. The, the law and priesthood were given to work together. The law would prove that you are not perfect. It would reveal your sin, and then the priesthood would temporarily atone for that sin, but it would be ongoing. You'd realize you sin, then you'd atone. You'd realize you sin, then you'd atone. And it's rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. It never actually did anything to solve the issue of imperfection. But Jesus has an indestructible life. Jesus lived an obedient life and was perfect. So which system is greater? The system based on perfection? Yeah, it's far greater than the system that only proves imperfection. Everybody still with me? Here's the fifth comparison, the greater than game. Which one is greater a live priest or dead priest? Which one you, do you want? Please say the live one, okay? Look in the text. Look in the text, verse 23. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. It's kind of hard to continue in office when you're dead. Verse 24. But he, that is Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently. Why? Because he continues forever. Are we even having this conversation at this point? I mean, of course, the live one who lives is better than the dead ones. It's a no-brainer. They died, but Jesus faced death and defeated it. Jesus walked out of the grave. Jesus has an indestructible life. He is risen. Amen? All right. Here's the next comparison, greater than game. Which one's greater? A sinless priest or sinful priests? Which one's greater? We'll look at the text, verse 26. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unsustained, uh, unstained, uh, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priest, but by the word of an oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Everybody right here, do you really want to put your confidence in a num-num? I mean, you're going to put your confidence in somebody that's as sinful as you? You're going to put your confidence in you? Ooh, that's a bad idea, right? Jesus is the only sinless priest, right? He doesn't offer up a sacrifice, or he doesn't offer sacrifices for himself. He offers himself 
as the sacrifice. That's what makes Jesus different than all the others. So who is greater, the sinless one or the sinful ones? Well, obviously the sinless priest. Here's the last one, and all God's people said. I'm glad you didn't say amen. Yes. Anyways, number seven, number seven, here's the last comparison, is which is greater, a priest with a finished work or priest whose work is never finished? Look at the text, verse 27. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for the people. Since he did this, talk to me, faith family, once for all when he offered up himself. You see, their sacrifices were ongoing because it was never finished. His sacrifice was once for all because it is finished. So who's greater? Here's the conclusion that the author now gives us. You ready? Here we go. Verse 22. This makes Jesus, the guarantor of a better covenant, and honey, it ain't even close. Jesus is greater than all of them. There's not even a comparison. How could you even consider going back in light of who Jesus is? And let me ask you, is it not absolutely obvious that there is nothing greater than Jesus? So why would you put your confidence in anyone other than him? Why would you put your confidence in a Catholic priest? He'll be dead before long just like you. Why would you put your hope in a Baptist denomination? It may be gone a hundred years from now. Why would you put your confidence in your own morality that you think you'll do enough to appease God? That's nonsense. Why would you put your confidence in the family that you were born in when they're just as sinful as you are? I'm asking you, why would you put your confidence in anything other than Jesus Christ? For he is greater than anything and anyone. You see, dear friends, this is the reality. At the end of the day, the greater than game is not a game. It's not a game. You settle for less when it comes to food or music or sports, fine. You may miss out on a few good things in this life, but if you settle for less when it comes to God, you will miss out on eternal life with God. Berean, don't forfeit your soul. Don't give up your security and don't lose your promises by putting your confidence in that which won't be here tomorrow. You put it in the high priest who reigns forever. Because if it ain't there, you don't have anything to be confident in. Jesus is greater. He's the great high priest. And when you just look at the reality, when you look at the data, it is clear that Jesus is the only place in which your confidence can be secure.
Now, what are some conclusions that we draw from this? We've looked at who Melchizedek is and and what that means. We've looked at the comparisons that the author makes to show you that Jesus is greater than all. And now, what does this mean for our confidence? Now I'm coming to you. Here we go. I'm just going to give you one verse. It's a great verse. You should memorize this verse. Verse 25. Consequently... So, in conclusion, if you will, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Oh, dear Christian, if you need confidence this morning, you've come to the right place. That verse will give you confidence. And when you feel like life has punched you in the face time after time after time and you're down and you feel like you're out, would you just go to that verse? Because that, dear Christian, is where your confidence is found. I'm give you four things. So you don't have time for four things. I don't care. I'm going to give you four things. Four things that because of what we've just seen, because of this verse, these, this is the confidence that we have as followers of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to ask if you would, if you're a believer, Lakeville Sanctuary, uh, if you would just confess this with me, if you would just say this out loud, if we could just declare this together as followers of Christ. Here's the first one. Say it with me. I am confident Because salvation is not based on my performance, but his perfection. Somebody say amen. Amen. Salvation is not based on my performance. It's based on his perfection, and that's why I'm confident. Praise God. My salvation is not based on an insecure law. It's based on an indestructible life, and that life ain't mine. It's Jesus. I got confidence today. You know why I got confidence today? It's not because I'm kept by my effort. It's because I'm kept by his intercession. The Christian life is Christ's life. And, and that's not to downplay obedience. We're all for obedience. I'm just saying that my security, praise God, is not based on obedience, mine. It's based on his obedience. It's based on his Perfection. And here's why this is so important for us is because, listen, some of you have this kind of a relationship with God, and you've had it this way for such a long time, is you feel like that, you know, if you're doing good and you're living right, man, God's looking down on you, and he's so pleased with you, and I'm, I'm just, you're really getting it done. I love you. And then you mess up. And then you blow it. And then you do that thing. And you feel as though God just does this. I cannot believe I even created them. What a screw up. Man, just when I think they've got it figured out, there they go again. And so you try harder, you double up your efforts, you go to church more, you do some good things, and I love you. I'm so proud of you. Way to go. And you're you're like the apple of my eye. There you go again. You're such a loser. How can you keep doing the same thing over and over again? Don't you know I've told you not? I'm so proud of you. Way to go. And listen, 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 Lakeville Sanctuary. Your whole relationship with God looks like this.
Because it's based on your performance, not his perfection. And what you have to get down today is that when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, his very righteousness was put into you so that you stand before God without any condemnation. Get rid of your swivel chair view of God. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because your salvation is confident, not based on your performance, but his perfection. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I wanted to throw that a lot further, just so you know. Here's a second thing. Here's a second thing. I want you to say it with me. I am confident because Jesus is permanent when life is inconsistent. Anybody need that today? Jesus is permanent when life is consistent, inconsistent. That's why I'm confident. You say, where are you getting this from the text? Because the text says that one verse says he always, he always makes intercession. Here's what I mean. Have you ever noticed that change brings insecurity in life? Right, you know, you, 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 you change things at work or you change relationships or, or, you know, things around you begin to change and all of a sudden you get insecure and you've got to adapt. Well, here's the good news of the gospel. Listen, the same person is interceding for you every day. You will never get a different priest. Which means when everything around your life is inconsistent, he is always interceding. He is always there, and he's not going anywhere. Anybody say, that's some really good news, because my life is kind of in chaos right now. Well, guess what? Jesus is still seated at the right hand of the Father, and he ain't going anywhere. And so guess what? You can take confidence in him. Third. Say it with me. I am confident that I can draw near because Jesus is always there. I am confident that I can draw near because Jesus is always there. I take that from the phrase, those who draw near. You see, because of Jesus, you don't have to keep your distance from God. Oh, I need to say that again. I need to say that again. Because of Jesus, you don't have to keep your distance from God. And I don't understand that anyways. You want to be close in almost every area of life. I mean, you want to be close at concerts. You want to be close in relationships. You certainly want to be close when it comes to parking. How would I know that? So why is it that you're so content being distant from God? When you don't have to be. You have all the confidence because of high priest Jesus to draw near. Why aren't you? You say, well, you don't know what I've done. Did we not just destroy that kind of thinking? It's not about what you've done. It's about what he's done. So draw near confidently. Fourthly, lastly, say it with me. I am confident that I am saved forever because Jesus lives forever. Hallelujah, amen. I'm confident that I'm saved forever because Jesus lives forever. Here's the only way that you can cause me to lose my salvation. If you have genuinely put your faith in Jesus, the only way you can lose your salvation is if Jesus dies. I don't know if you know this, but there's a thing called Easter. 
the enemy already tried that and he lost. The grave was not victorious over Jesus. He is risen. He's not going anywhere and neither are you. You know, when I was a little boy, every summer I'd go visit my grandparents for at least a week. I loved it. My grandfather was like my best friend, and as many of you know, he was a pastor for 51 years, and so he always carried around these gospel tracks. Do you remember that? Some of you think I just said dinosaur. <laughs> You're like, gospel track. He carried these around. There was always one that he always had on his desk, and it, every time I saw it and looked through it, it just terrified me. It was a track called, This Was Your Life. Some of you remember it. It's about a man who's just enjoying his life, and all of a sudden, he just, boom, dies. They put him in the ground. They have his funeral. They say some nice things about him, and then he's taken off and enters into heaven and awaits judgment. There, he watches his entire life on a video screen of all the things he'd ever done wrong, all the mistakes he'd ever made, all the times that he'd rejected God, and then he is cast into the lake of fire. And even though this was written from the perspective of someone who had rejected Christ, I remember as a, a younger boy who had put his faith in Jesus, I remember being terrified. What if that happens to me? How do I know? What if I'm wrong? Not about somebody else's identity, but about mine. And then the more I walked with Jesus, the more I understood the gospel. Which allows me today to tell you, dear friend, there is confidence in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus has already taken your place before God. And that is why you will be able to stand before God without any condemnation because you are in Christ. Your salvation will be there in the end because your Savior will be there in the end. And though your sin is great, your Savior is greater than your sin. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time in your word this morning and the encouragement that, that I trust you've given each one of us. Um, thank you for the confidence that we have in Jesus Christ, the good news of the gospel. And if there is somebody here and they don't know Christ, I pray that today they would turn from their sin and put their faith in him. If there's a Christian that just feels beat up and down and they just needed this reminder of all that is theirs in Christ, I pray that you would encourage them and build their confidence up in Jesus. And we pray it in his name. Amen.